Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon hope you're well my guest this is very exciting is a grammy nominated singer songwriter film composer producer and multi-instrumentalist and the front man and founder of the fantastic band fruit bats along with being a member of the contemporary folk triumvirate bonnie light horseman please welcome eric d johnson welcome Thanks, and may I may I tip my cap to the use of the word triumvirate? Thank you. I got excited when I was writing this because I realized I had the opportunity to use it, and it's just a fun word. Yeah, I enjoy it's a, it. It's a great word. It's a great word. So the <laughs> gotta have a starting point. Might as well go with the deeply unfair question. But Eric, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. You gotta like you. There's like that's a uh, you know in this day and age that's always like a weighted. There's like a there's a grading curve on that question, but yeah, but uh, yeah, all things considered, I'm I'm like uh, fantastic. Good, that's excellent. And yeah, it's very much a uh, it's both a question I feel like that I have to actually think about now, which I hadn't. I, I kind of just you know you have a stock answer previous to capital A O T all of this. Yeah, and and now I have to think about it and really. How I am in the moment you asked me is how I am then, but could be different in 15 minutes. Yeah, Who knows? yeah, exactly. And I think you have to, yeah, you just have to like minus that. I don't know. It's a, it's a loaded question these days, but yeah, uh, at, Absolutely. This, at this very moment, I'm excellent. Good. That's a great way to start. I don't know. I got, I have so many things to, to cover. Well, potentially cover anyway, if we get to them, but this is it's such a dumb question, but I am curious. Where did the band, uh, the the name Fruit Bats? What was the origin of that? Where did that come from? That's a that's not a dumb question. That's a good question that I don't really know the answer to. It was I it was um, I think in my in the it it is lost to history. Um, when I came up with that name, it certainly was not some kind of eureka moment. But I'm pretty sure that it was sort of a joke band name. I used to make these like four track tapes before I ever even played a show or had ever really played like a show in earnest um, would make these four track tapes and had a lot of kind of like, I would do like fake band names because I didn't have a band. And I'm pretty sure Fruit Bats was like what I thought sounded like a, like a fake punk band name, yeah. which yeah. people still tell me that kind of sounds like a punk band. And I'm like, so it was basically, it was like a, a fake band name on a cassette tape in 1997. Um, which is why I often say like the the like beginning of Fruit Bats was really probably 1997, even though we didn't make a a, a real record until 2001. That is interesting though that like creating band names, there are just some names that you hear that just sound inherently band like. That was I felt like I I and a lot of people I knew would make those jokes about somebody would just say a random combination of words without the intention of that being that and you're like oh that's funny because i actually have a band named that feels like it's a fun game that a lot of people i know play yeah and now that i'm actually realizing that it's 2022 and that i believe that it was 1997 when i came up uh with that name it is i'm realizing it's uh, the the 25th quarter century anniversary of that as a band name for me too which is which is kind of crazy oh wow yeah that is wild yeah well what was it you played your first fruit bat show maybe 2001 yeah, actually, specifically 2001. Um, I know this because, you know, last year was sort of supposed to be the big, crazy 20th anniversary fun stuff, and nobody got to do any fun stuff last year for the most part. So um, 
Yeah, I kept having these sort of 20-year milestones. I think it was March of 2001 was the first uh, Fruit Bats show. God, that's wild. Yeah. But, you know, I will say that your timing now for the new tour for to support the new album, March, as far as, you know, considering that you had that 10 months out, you planted your flag for this coming March, I think it's going to be okay by then. Yeah, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic after, after you know, a couple years of the rug getting pulled out uh, uh, constantly. But yeah, cautiously optimistic. That's good. That's <laughs> I'm looking for optimism in every form I can. Yeah. And uh, no, I think you have ample reason to be. So and that's I think very basically the way, especially with like live music right now, you have to just kind of plan these very short term notions of how things are going to go and then be like, and it might not happen. You know, there is just sort of yeah. like an asterisk after everything. But instead of being like, I don't know, it's probably not going to happen. I'm just like, it's happening. And then, and then maybe it won't be. <laughs> and we'll just see. <laughs> fair. Yeah. Fair enough. I feel like that's kind of my approach towards everything at this point. It's a, yeah, exactly. a, t- a tentative optimism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Through all of this, you know, uh, so far as we're, we're doing it, you did some singles with Carm and Bonnie Lot Horses to the cover album of Smashing Pumpkins' Siamese Dream, which is fantastic, by the way. The album Pet Parade, which you both started writing weeks before all of this started. You know, maybe I think like February 18th or 19th, you posted about the beginning of that in 2020 and then wrote it on both sides of it before and during and then recording all of that during all of this. Do you think that you managed to stay fairly like creatively engaged throughout this period? Yeah, and not I don't it wasn't uh certainly wasn't something at the beginning of the pandemic that I was like I am I I, I wouldn't really call myself a prolific workhorse or anything or I don't certainly don't think of myself in that way. Um but uh when I've actually kind of been thinking about it recently, I'm just like, well, we are we are um I just haven't been touring and th- that, that takes up a lot of time, you know, like it used to be the, the old paradigm um, and especially like obviously pre pandemic, but even like in the early 2000s back uh, in the days before constant content and like you have to like stay completely visible at all times, you would make a record and then you would sort of like putt putt around touring on that record for like two years and then you would like chill out for a year and no one would hear from you you would disappear <laughs> because there was no there was no place for you to be you know there was no yeah. online form or anything like that and then and and sort of during that year time you'd probably be writing and maybe maybe making a new record basically it was like a four-year cycle um it's not like that anymore but this this past couple of years has kind of almost been like that where you where i've just been like well i, got, I gotta be doing something um so, yeah, I, I, I have looked up and have, have found that I just did a bunch of stuff over the past couple of years, which is like, and not, not, uh, not cynically in the, um, in the interest of content or something like that either, but just because I was like, well, I gotta, I gotta do stuff. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> yeah. It also seems like these all, these things came up pretty organically, you know, not with any sort of plan of like you know it's not certainly like i need to do this many albums i need to do these singles it was just like they came up organically and you had the time and thankfully i guess whether it's via remotely recording or recording in safe circumstances during all this in relative isolation i suppose that all these things came to fruition and it's just again i guess you had the time and that goes a long way 
Yeah, the Smashing Pumpkins thing was a total surprise because it started off, it seemed like it was going to be easy or kind of a lark, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when I was doing it, I was like, oh, this is kind of turning out cool. I need to really, like, give this a lot of attention. So it was a total rabbit hole that I went into. And then I was, when I came out the other side, I was like, this is still a weird project and it's a, an entire record of a cover and I don't think anybody's gonna like care about this and then people really liked it um I didn't really realize how much that album meant to people kind of became a thing that I wasn't expecting which is that's always the best you know when that happens where you're just like oh okay people are interested in this so yeah that's that's always the hope is that you just kind of make things and then uh people are organically interested in them later I imagine, too, that just, you know, being an artist and it's really hard to gauge what will work with people or what resonates, you know, whether it's a, a cover album of Siamese Dream or any other song to where the ones that, whether you have expectations or not, the things that really hit to you might not be the same thing as what resonates to varying degrees with other people. Like, I imagine there's some degree uh, with each album where, oh, okay, I didn't expect that. I just had no idea what would, would do the trick. That's sort of been like my whole career. And I'm, I'm, this is like, I've been having to sort of, A, just do interviews about this 20-year retrospective and having to do these kind of like backwards-looking, slightly navel-gazing um, reassessments <laughs> of things. Yeah. And which are some, sometimes it's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to talk about this anymore. But sometimes it's been good. It's been like therapy for me. In some ways, it'd just be like, who am I? And <laughs> what does this all yeah. mean? And I, I think that's that's sort of been my whole um, music career was I, I really, I think I, I started off at this interesting little innocent time of indie rock that was like, everything was so modest, you know? The, like everyone's, and I think I sort of had a natural Midwest, uh, I don't know if modesty is the right word, but just sort of, I had a small scale vision, you know, and yeah. these, these kind of small goals. So it was, um, everything has been a surprise since then. I didn't, I, I like, I, I don't think I started off like wanting to like conquer the world or anything. And, um, you know, I just, uh, yeah, that's been, that's been kind of like the name of the game for me is surprising myself <laughs> that people are interested <laughs> I'm definitely interested. I'll tell you that. Just like I said before we started recording, as somebody who saw you October 15th, 2010, as I'm staring at the poster again on my wall. But I don't know how to transition to this. I thinking about, I read an interview with Flood Magazine. The writer pointed out just how naturally cinematic your music is, or at least your, your music with Fruit Bats is, uh, your more autobiographical stuff. And in, in the interview, you said that I've always been a film person. I really want to be a filmmaker growing up. So I think of my songs as movies. They exist sort of as sequels and prequels to each other, which I got to tell you, as somebody who kind of can see certain things in my head as puzzle pieces of like different epiphanies and things can unlock a puzzle piece on my head to give me a better sense of an overall picture of something, man, that unlocks something, something in my head with regard to your music and just how, as somebody who's a huge, huge film fan, man, I was like, oh, that's a big puzzle piece as to why your music resonates so much with me because it really is so evocative and paints these sonic landscapes. I was curious, though, about, like, you know, you wrote scores for Ceremony and Our Idiot Brother and Smashed, amongst others. So, uh, But I was curious about the experience of having that natural cinematic approach to your music, your stories, but then to apply some form of that to someone else's story. Yeah, and it's weird because... In some ways, my own Fruit Bats music and like my own songwriting is almost 
um, it's almost more cinematic than me making film music um, to some extent in that it's like um, I'm the primary storyteller, you know, in yeah. that. But film music is just, um, it's such a different muscle. Um, and I think it like, um, it always helps. Uh, it's sort of like swinging a loaded bat for a while. Like when I come back to songwriting after making music for film, it's like um, everything is much clearer to me. It's like going down somebody else's storytelling path or something makes you be like, um, I don't know. It just gives you this this perspective when you come back to it. So um, I don't know. I don't think I'm not answering the question here either, but I'm, di- I'm digressing well, something else. But yeah. Well, to be fair, I guess I just more <laughs> made a statement and then paused waiting for you to say something. Yeah. So I don't think I put you in a fair position. But just curious about, like I said, what it is to approach you know, I, I guess like you said, it's a different muscle to write music to somebody else's literal cinematic story, but just their story. And I guess you're within a certain, you're in a more limited box, so to speak, in that it's somebody else's story as opposed to you being able to write a song for your band that can cinematically, you know, musically, cinematically go tell whatever story you want to tell. Yeah, I think I think when I'm actually thinking about it, and I've, I've I've definitely been asked this before, so I've been like I have thought about it, and and, and usually the question is like, what's the difference, you know? Mm-hmm. And the the answer is like they're massively different. Um, you know, movie scores are totally someone else's vision. You're usually kind of the last person in the door too. Um, like it's the it's sort of like the last creative touch on a movie is is frequently score, you know, unless you're johnny greenwood or something and you're you're way in at the beginning but a lot of times you're like a late hire yeah those but like when i actually they're they're massively different but when i think about it now um the i and the that it is both a form of storytelling which is i think that's that is like my favorite thing just in uh the world of like being a creative person or something that that's like my number one thing that i i like is storytelling in in some way um so that that would be that would be the the main thing that that both of that uh both of those things have in common do you think that you know wanting to be a filmmaker early on before going into music and becoming a musician do you think that that may be beginning point at least from a thought process of maybe looking thing at things cinematically i mean would really inform your musicianship and your writing just by looking at it through that prism because that was your first initial point of reference Definitely. Yeah. It, and it had, it had, they were all the, the thing when I was like much, much younger too, was that the, I, I would have been cool with doing any, any of that stuff. Like, um, I was just sort of like, I, I just knew I was interested in that stuff, interested in, in music and movies. And it was all sort of the same to me. Like it didn't, it, it a, all the same in that it, it was the, all the same mystery world of like, this unattainable thing that was would have been just as easy to go and become like an astronaut or something or a whatever yeah. it just see like just in this kind of sort of midwestern environment that i grew up in i didn't grow up like you know on a farm or anything but it was just it was not like um no one in my family did that and it was just like it was all weird so it basically all felt like the same like you would just go to hollywood and there's like the president of entertainment is just like here you make a movie and you write a song and it was all it was all just the same weird hazy shadowy universe that was also very magical 
to me. So, um, yeah, I think like I probably fell into making music and like indie rock because that's like the, I wouldn't say it's the easiest thing you can do, but it's like you could do it from any point in geography. And uh, it's sort of this, again, like I said, it was a, it's a like a small scale thing where you're just like, if you get a little bit of the proof of concept of it, you could just say like, oh yeah, there are bands and then there's these rock clubs that you can play. They're all over the place. Um, it was like very attainable seeming, you know? Yeah, that makes sense too. And I guess you kind of came around at a time when it was the, the beginnings of like the machinations of being able to, to some degree, probably like record a song and put it on the internet. I mean, you were getting to that point. I mean, you're getting to the MySpaces of the world. Yes. That allow for the easier access and also due to the lack of competition of those type of sites or not everyone having every bit of access to it that you could really get some visibility that way, I would imagine. Yeah, it was, and it was, that was still, I was like pretty, pretty early on that, but still, yes. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was like, it was either the best time to start or the worst time or, or just, it doesn't really matter, you know, like <laughs> when I think yeah. about it, but it was like, it was still, it was sort of like the tail end of the freewheeling days of just like kind of indie rock stuff when it was like the stakes were really low. Um, sort of what it, the, the, what it meant to be successful was like, it didn't take too much. I don't think necessarily. I'm, I'm like, I'm looking back on it with the kind of rose colored glasses too of, of like, um, whatever that meant, but also sort of pre-content and pre-social media and all that it was it was a it was a funny little weird time but again it's easy to think of it in that way especially in this day and age with everything where you're just like oh man it was it was easy and awesome i also would never want to go back i'm i'm like happy with where i'm at now too so um yeah it was like i like i'm, I'm still I'm always trying to think about what what the what the, what the hell was going on in the early 2000s when I started. <laughs> it just all seemed so weird and crazy that uh, yeah, it's like it's hard to say because it's just like my my early 20 something brain then was just like I was just drinking it in. You know, I had like yeah. no standards. Everything was magical. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it maybe in a way when you obviously have the talent and there's all that, but you also like in a way kind of almost fall into it and you're just like, oh man. This is all the win. All you needed like, was, it was like, you just needed a little gumption, you know? Like it was, um, it was, uh, yes. And I, I think I did, but, and I've said this a million times in interviews, so I'm, I'm repeating myself, but it was like, there was, it was certainly was like in the indie world, there was a bit more of a sense that there was like a developmental league back then like like i i always say now um i believe and i could i could totally be wrong too so but that um you you sort of need to be more fully formed now coming out of the gates you know i feel like when i listen back to my early stuff i was like it was me sort of learning on the job and i still managed to get like a record contract and it was, it was a bit more wild west back then that makes sense. Just thinking about this too, that I, I don't want to miss this part, and this is the film fan of me wanting to ask this admittedly, but what were the big movies that influenced you that made you want to be a filmmaker early on? Um, It was like, <clears throat> I actually was, I could very specifically tell you, it was, I huh? had, it was really cool. We had a, like a film class in our high school. It was called, actually called New Media, which is funny because New Media now means like, uh, <laughs> like Instagram and stuff. But at the time it was like, 
I think it had been probably called New Media since like the seventies or something. So it was like um, it was a, it was a film course, um, you know, which and it wasn't some we didn't have like a theater in our school or something. It was literally they would it was just the classic like it was an English course and you would they would wheel in the VCR and stuff into the <laughs> room and you would just watch movies and talk about them in the same way that you did books. So we it was like that class was um, the teacher was named Dave Gatiss. Um, and he was like, it was kind of one of those where they're like, name a teacher that influenced you. He was like a huge influence. And so we watched, um, we had like a, a spate of movies in that and uh, like from throughout time. And I think it was really like the 70s American cinema that like hit me. Like we watched Easy Rider. We watched, um, we watched uh, One Foot of the Cuckoo's Nest. Um we watched, we watched like, I'm trying to think. We watched like, we watched stuff starting with like Citizen Kane all the way up to like more at the time 90s, you know, modern movies. But I remember it was like um, that like 70s American new wave stuff that I really loved. Cause I think probably like teenage, bo- that, that stuff really kind of spoke to like artsy teenage boy brain <laughs> too in a <laughs> lot of ways. Cause it's like, it was like, kind of anti-establishment but entertaining and you had these like young movie stars like Jack Nicholson and people like that in those movies but yeah I think it was like um it was like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest I think was the was the movie that like threw me for a loop I remember like um kids were like crying at the end of that movie (laughs) in that class but um yeah we I, I was like it was um it was this this class this english class and then also we there was another english i was a, a terrible student too so these were the only two classes i ever did well in um there was a class called independent literature where we got to just pick books and i had this teacher uh, miss gatto who was really young and cool and she like hipped me to things like on the road and stuff you know just the classic um you know again the type of stuff that was just gonna like a certain type of teenage boy at the time it was gonna just really speak to my brain and and just show you like the world of possibilities you know beyond like your town and um it's it's like a total cliche but it was like all that stuff i'll tell you i wish i would have had that class specifically well the movie class 100 percent, but that kind of more open-ended assignment or open assignment reading as opposed to like being forced to read a separate piece which no disrespect to the book but there was such a dramatic difference at any age for me anyway but certainly that age of the difference between being able to choose something versus being required to do something yeah it was the closest that that specifically that independent literature course too was probably the closest thing that i ever got to experience of like when you hear about those kids that were like oh yeah i went to like the the like cool alternative school or something where like you get graded with like smiley faces and like like i don't know it was just like my high school was like john hughes you know like it was like suburban chicago like super normal um and like whatever it was it was fine like i'm not (laughs) i got i got out of that town real quick and it was fine but it was like that sort of uh like i was a terrible student um barely graduated and those type of classes totally spoke to me and i'm always like oh if i would have i probably could have like gone to one of those weirdo schools if like we could have afforded it and i, I would have yeah. like, you know 
but but who the hell knows? It's all it's all it's all like creates you who you are too. So you can't go you can't can't go back and fix it. So I think about that specifically a lot too. Where it's like sometimes depending on the day, where I can get just slightly angsty about wishing I had done this thing or that thing differently or just at all or whatever. But then you realize. Well, if you're happy with where you are right now, you can't have one without the other. So it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. And and again, just like just the complicated times we live in too. I'm always like, I'm I'm good. Like, <laughs> I'm I'm privileged <laughs> and I'm good. So you know, yeah. you have to sort of be able to like say that. Absolutely. It's funny too that you mentioned the '70s because just this last year, 2021, I watched like 75 movies from the '70s. Nice. Res- just. A concerted, you know, I'd seen a lot of the big hits and known ones and everything before, but more of a concerted just mind getting through them and reading, like seeing them all, reading about them, reading uh, Pictures at a Revolution, the Mark Harris book, which is fantastic, by the way, if you haven't read that. I have not read it and I will. It's fantastic. It's all about what kind of laid the groundwork for the 70s, uh, 70s films and did it through the prism of the making of four movies. But that kind of laid the groundwork for my watching those movies. And it's that thing where, like, you know, you hear the 70s. That's the best decade in films by a lot of people. But then to actually watch a lot of them and you realize just the degree by which it is. Like, how unbelievably fervent it is creatively. And just how many different things you get out of it. And how far film was taken in a matter of a decade is extraordinary. It's just amazing. I mean, in this, I think the seventies. You could, you could also make the argument for music for that too. Like whether you like, and I'm, you know, it's, it's like no total shock that like the music of the seventies had a influence on me too. When you listen to what I do, and um, but just sort of thinking about that, like uh, that stretch of time between like nineteen sixty six and nineteen eighty, which wasn't really that long, you know. Yeah, and like sort of what just with pop music obviously like how it progressed and how that and obviously that generation has like celebrated itself a million times over like on in rolling stone and stuff and it's like we don't need to be like congratulations to all of you for changing things but it, it was a really <laughs> good time you know like that's um so yeah it was like that that decade and they always say i was born in the you know sort of mid to late 70s and they always say like um there is some some kind of thing psychologically that that people are are always attracted to the to the general time with which they were born is sort of like the the gen z's and stuff are like in love with the 90s now too for that that same reason and i there i feel like there's something to be said for that yeah and and i was born in 83 so i understand what it is to have reverence for i guess to some degree what boils down to the time when you were growing up on a podcast one time a stand-up comedian defined nostalgia basically as we revere when we grew up because it was the time before we had to pay bills yeah that's true like yeah i think i think in this day and age too just thinking about like just just being an adult is really hard right now like harder than <laughs> yeah i it, it's yeah. like uh and the just the notion of responsibility and decisions you know we're just like oh, i don't want to make decisions anymore <laughs> but i wanted to ask well you mentioned too that you know the 70s and 66 to, to 80 being so fervent for also for music which obviously it was but what were the big influences for you in that time period i mean in that specific time period growing up in general you know, I, this is, it's like, that's always like a mind blowing thing to think about when you're a kid. This has been like my recent realization is just like the, 
um, you sort of think of your these like, especially when you're like in those young, I think of it like, I don't know, starting at about age 10, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. When's, when's, when do you think the age is when you're like, when you become divested from like both your parents, like the, maybe the things that your parents listen to, you like diverge from that. And then also it's like, you're not listening to kids music anymore. I try to think of it as about age nine or 10, right? I would say like just on that relative preteen teen cusp. Yeah, maybe. because I remember, so- I mean, I had songs I really liked when I was like much younger that were on the radio. My family was like, um, my family was like, uh, they liked um like top 40 radio you know like even even into the they weren't it wasn't they weren't listening to like um super golden oldies they like they had like the normal mainstream radio station playing at all times you know so like i was like i was listening to like really mainstream pop top 40 radio in the 80s you know and all of that stuff that was on um but i think yeah like when i was like you know 10 11 12 those ages Basically, my, my realization has been you always think that you sort of go through these epic stretches of like what you listened to when you were young, but it's much shorter. Your faces are much shorter than you think, you know? Yeah. So the crazy the crazy line that I always draw is that like, you know, in about 1995, I was 19 and I discovered like indie rock and sort of like everything that like set me off on the path, you know, of like being an indie rock person. Um and if you if you rewind the clock, it was only like six years before that that I was like in junior high and listening to like Poison. <laughs> so that <laughs> that's always my my line that I say is like it was only six years between Poison and Pavement for me, which is like two bands that you would never like <laughs> um, feel like are bookends. But th- those were my that bookends. is dramatic. Yeah. yeah, it's dramatic, and I don't know if that was like the time or uh, I don't, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, like, um, but yeah, so I went from, you know, Poison, Motley Crue, you know, hair metal in 88 and 89, because that was like, I was like 12 when that stuff hit. It was, I was a 12 year old boy. That stuff was like huge for me. I wouldn't say it's like aged well. Some of it has. I don't know. Um, musically speaking or, or otherwise, you know, like it's kind of like whatever. I'm not like revisiting that stuff so much. And then, so yeah, from that stretch. And then something I kind of discussed. I always thought I was weird and unique, but like, you know, in the early 90s, like sort of between hair metal and like alternative music, I listened to tons of classic rock. Mm -hmm. I kind of thought that that was um, unique to me. But when I've met and spoken to other people my age, I realized that was like a, a total thing. Like in the in the very early 90s, it was like sort of like 90, 91 era that sort of like American classic rock radio was like a really huge thing. I was like obsessed with it. So we were all listening to like Creedence and Pink Floyd and Steve Miller Band and stuff like that. So I was like into that stuff. And then, you know, and then like alternative hit. I also got really into the Grateful Dead. Um, So I was like, but I've always been like a pop music person, you know, ultimately. Um, And like, and then sort of indie rock came to me in about 1995 and the importance of that was that that like going back to that sort of attainability thing i was like i'm not going to be able to play um like pink floyd or something even though i liked that music it seemed so virtuosic virtuistic yeah. um 
And then when I heard something like Pavement, which was like, it felt like complex, weird, cool, and sophisticated music. But I also, at that point in my, like, was kind of learning guitar and, like, learning to write. It felt like, and, and obviously Beyond Pavement, too, but I use them as an example. I was like, it felt, like, familiar to me in some way. And then, um, and also, like, I was like, oh, I think I can do that. I think, no, I think no, no, like achievable, yeah. Like achievable, yeah. And I, I liked the Grateful Dead and stuff too, but I was just like, I can't play guitar solos. <laughs> um, so it was, um, it was like, and I, obviously I loved the music too of of pavement and stuff like that. It wasn't just like some kind of cynical, like I guess I could do this. Um, but it was like, it was a, a real revelation. Also, I was not like a punk rock person. I was like too young for like, um, you know, old school punk and like. I was probably the perfect age for like second wave emo, but like that that music didn't speak to me in some way, and that that music sort of had a virtuosity in its own right too. So it was like, um, yeah, it was it was really like hearing bands like Pavement, or kind of retroactively hearing a band like The Replacements or something, which was like punk rock but had like a songwriting element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those bands just like it they just like turned my world upside down. I never thought about it before, but about you know, growing up, becoming of age in the 90s with classic rock really becoming a thing. It reminds me of that Eagles documentary, The History of the Eagles. Well, this was covered, I think, in part two, but it was part one and two. And they covered about how part of the reason the Eagles got back together to then do the Hell Freezes Over tour is because classic rock really became a thing on the radio and they became kind of the poster band for that thing. And it it created a massive both resurgence and rediscovery and discovery of the Eagles and by extension a lot of other bands that became a part of the that format and also you know in a relatively pre-internet age it allowed you to become really inundated with classic you know classic uh, music from when you were a kid or just before you were, were born and that was man I'm yeah I imagine thinking about it now that that was a huge teaching mechanism for all of that and for discovery too you know pre-internet yeah pre-internet and then you had like these kind of artists that were really like bridging the gap between those worlds like neil young at the time you know who was um who was kind of like an alternative radio artist but also like had this deep back catalog it was like my, my discovery of like neil young's decade which was his um his like retro it was i think it was his 10-year retrospective at the time but it was like it was it was there was that sort of greatest hits CD culture <laughs> happening around yeah. that time. You could sort of it was like pre-streaming, but you could kind of get like uh, these greatest hits albums and 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 sort of like look back on things. So yeah, yeah, it was it was all and and obviously Neil Young was huge for me too because he had sort of that attainable sound too to some you could you could sort of hear how that music worked i'm admittedly late to to neil young and only relatively recently have been diving into his stuff but it's that thing where again it's like watching 70s movies today and you're like oh man that thing that everybody is beloved for so many people is really good it's like oh neil young is really good this is a really shocking statement yeah he's i mean he's so good and it's in and uh i was sort of thinking about him and um i think him and tom petty occupy a similar space too in that it is like um and neil's neil's actually not american but but like for lack of a better term this this sort of americana they they do this like oblique americana that like speaks to some kind of like world that and it's like deeply poetic and weird both at the (laughs) same time it's not like i love bruce springsteen but he's 
Bruce seems very like literal to me in some ways. Like it, it, it's very poetic and beautiful. And yeah. I, not to take anything away from Bruce, but I feel like what uh, Neil Young and Tom Petty do slash did is like it's way more um, mystical in some way, and yet clearly speaks to like millions of people. And uh, those are like two songwriters that I've always like looked to, where I was just like, "What the hell is that gold standard?" It's like you can't <laughs> even really. I don't know. You can't really explain it. And that's like, that's, that's like the goal for me too. I never thought about those comparisons too, that with Springsteen to your point, I don't know. I, again, this is, we're, we're talking about these people because they're so talented exactly. and because they're good. So it's not in any way a knock, no. but I do, it does feel like that Springsteen is a lot more consumable, more, you know, in a more literal way to your point. Whereas there feels like there's a few more layers to a Tom Petty or to a Neil Young that just speaks to, to their songwriting style or just who they are as artists. But it's also that they make it seem attainable and doable while also being seemingly extremely complicated and so talented. Like, it's a very accessible thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's difficult for people to, like, explain what they like about it, too. So um, I wouldn't even really put Dylan in that category. He's kind of in his own realm or something, too. But, yeah, Neil and Tom, I was thinking more about them and, like, what they mean to me. And I think it's like, it's this, this oblique thing that they do, but this world that they write in that, that just for me, I'm just super attracted to. Yeah. And I can see the parallels. It makes sense. And there are, God, if you're going to use somebody's influences on some level, those are some, some, I might say, might I say damn good choices. Yeah. I just, those are the, those are like evergreen for me too, where I can kind of always come back and, and like, there's a new layer in each of those yeah i remember the other day i watched the uh tom petty documentary i think it's like pretty long it's yeah like, the bogdanovich the four hour bogdanovich one yeah. yeah and it's pretty fantastic yeah it's excellent are there any other music documentaries you like that that resonate with you or that just give you more kind of a very deeply informative of artists that you revere i mean honestly like it's i i love music documentaries and there's 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 obviously some great ones like the, the aforementioned tom petty one that eagles one is great um yeah, yeah. those are and those obviously have a more kind of like meat and potatoes approach to the filmmaking, like, and not, not any knock on those, but you know, where it's like talking heads and it's kind of like a biographical story, but it's like basically this past year with, with the, um, get back, you know, the Peter Jackson get back movie and that Haynes velvet underground documentary. I'm like, okay, we have entered like the, we've entered a new biosphere of like, music docs and you were there's no going back now like you can't like i mean those are two of the best documentaries i've ever seen and where i'm just like okay yeah you can't just make another talking head documentary again because those guys just like completely destroyed the mold of like how it all works so um yeah like though i mean it's just like we may we may have seen like two of the best ever made just in this past year which is pretty awesome that's a great call that beatles documentary specifically it's just unbelievable it's that thing where i feel like i've thought or said so many times about a point in history or the making of something in this case this album if i could only be a fly on the wall and then to get that opportunity and then to see them riff and then come up with a song in real time that we know to be classics or things that are deeply personal for me it's just the best and to see like even just nonchalant like yoko vindication after all this time it's just amazing yeah i mean in the whole the thing for me it's like 
the the like ripples of that get back documentary in like just my world of like people in bands it like it like blew all of our minds and i think the thing that that just crushed me on that which was so incredible was the banality <laughs> of it and yeah. and the like um where i was like and it's not to say like i'm you know i'm not writing beatles songs or as good as the beatles or whatever I, I don't know what i'm doing so i'm just i'm doing what i do but like um how i was just like oh that's not like any different than how any of us do it you know you think of those beatles songs were um were brought by unicorns down from the sky like winged unicorns and just truly are mythical yeah yeah, yeah. but you're like no they were just created by elbow grease like by some <laughs> 27 year old dipshits you know like in the funniest way like they're just like screwing around it just didn't look any different than any band i've ever been in you know like and i mean that in a really beautiful way but i will say you see them in action what made the beatles great was they made every right choice um so like and i say that because like for example paul paul brings in the first like riff of get back and george is doing this really cheesy guitar riff over it and you're like, oh, don't do that, George. <laughs> and then you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, he didn't do that. Like, uh, <laughs> you sort of <laughs> see that they knew every choice to make and every everything to jettison. I think when they were, like, ending Dig a Pony with this weird kind of, like, all I want is you ending. And it's like, oh, that, that ending's terrible. And then you're like, oh, yeah, no, they didn't use that because that's <laughs> they, they just knew what to do and what not to do you sort of hear that um where it's just like they had this this preternatural talent for but they, they were working with the same raw materials as anybody else basically so um but yeah it was it, that just like was utterly magical to watch to your point there too like even as somebody obviously who's not in a band but just the demystification of it all yeah. and to realize just the remembrance of like oh yeah they were people and not only people they were veritable children seemingly <laughs> george was 25 still unbelievable yeah i believe i think he's 25 when they were doing that yeah i think the oldest one was i think it was ringo or like 29 or 30 yeah yeah like and it's just like i can't imagine having even one percent of that success at that age yeah and the fact that they were just cranking things out and figuring it out and to your point like making every right choice in the moment yeah it's just i i can't even wrap my head around it i'm so glad so thankful that exists and that we're able to see it yeah, and then just the filmmaking choices by Peter Jackson is so brilliant. And then, and then again, like kind of got overshadowed only because because Get Back came after. But that Todd Haynes Velvet Underground documentary is just unbelievable too. Yes, it's so good. The other one that came out this year that I haven't seen the Sparks uh, documentary. Sparks documentary was great too. And for me, that was like that was one of those where and I, and I knew Sparks. I I I had liked them, but I and I sort of knew that their legend was almost bigger than them in some way yeah. so for me it was like uh that was a fun one because it was a band i knew less about um and sometimes that can be a fun documentary to watch where you're just like All right tell me about this band so yeah it made me sort of more interested in them than i would have been yeah and that's what i've heard from a lot of people too who knew of them more than they knew their music and then they watched it you know as this form of like information download about them yeah and realized oh i think i'm a sparks fan and then they've subsequently gotten into their entire catalog which is pretty extensive yeah yeah it was uh it was and just just the story of them was obviously very inspiring too yeah i need to watch that i know that i watched annette this last year which was the movie that they scored and it is truly unique very divisive but i absolutely loved it 
Yeah, so. I haven't seen it yet, but I've been made interested in it now by watching that documentary. So It's pretty great. Okay, we are coming up against it. So let's wrap it up. First of all, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks I'm for having deeply me. appreciative of your yeah. time. This is great. Big Love your music. Thank you for your music. Feels trite to ask that or to say that, but truly thank you. It's great. Thank I'm a huge fan. Thanks for, thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, of course. And um, what all do you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? I know this will come out uh, this coming Monday, so the following Friday on the 28th. Eight days from now, the box set will be coming out. Yeah, sometimes a cloud is just a cloud, which is my twentieth anniversary uh, retrospective. And my my hopes for this for this record, which I, I I said like in the like even in the press materials, but it's true, was just that it's like it's two discs, and disc one is like you know get it for your friends who who don't know about fruit bats, and it's sort of like a mixtape that I made, you know, of like my quote unquote hits, and then disc two is for 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 said fans, you know, who are already in but it's it's filled with like rarities and and weirdnesses and um yeah it's a really i think it's like one of my favorite album covers that i've ever had it's great <laughs> yeah and uh and i don't know like yeah it's a it, again it's just like a weird thing for a for a guy like me to be having like a a retrospective like this it's because it feels like i'm i'm like just getting started but uh, yeah that that's what's happening and then you know i'm playing shows uh hopefully with the with the aforementioned uh, asterisk um, but shows asterisk uh, starting in uh, like March. That's exciting. Yeah. And yes, again, sometimes a cloud is just the cloud. Slow growers, sleeper hits, and lost songs, 2001, 2021. Yes. Out January 28th. I've got mine coming to me. I'm very excited. And it's uh, filled with old faves, rarities, B-sides, demos, and unheard tracks. Get that now, and I'll include a link with all this. Thank you again for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me, I appreciate me, your time. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do it again. We can go longer next time. <laughs> I would love that. Part two. Um, <laughs> part two. Yeah. Part, this is part one, part two, TBD. But in the meantime, thank you all for listening. Please stay safe. Please take care. Please lead with empathy. Get the vaccine if you don't have it. Get the booster if you don't have it. Either way, be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Take care. Thank you again. Bye. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you.